Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom and career strategies for technology executives and leaders. Our sponsor for today's episode is Fairfax County, Virginia's Economic Development Authority. Innovation and opportunity is what Fairfax County is out there on the market to offer. And you're invited to expand, start, or relocate your business in this global technology hub, which is located just outside Washington, D.C. This is a corporate community that's accomplishing mission-critical work and making the world a better place. You can learn more at fairfaxcountyeda.org. We're streaming to you now via LinkedIn and YouTube, and we welcome our viewers today to take part in this conversation and send in questions of your own. Our editors will be watching for those questions and doing their best to pass them along to me and today's guest. Who is Michael Stockert, the global CIO of Precision Medicine Group? Michael joined this biopharma company last August in a newly expanded CIO role and he brought with him 20 plus years of C-level technology and IT security leadership, experience that he gained across the financial services and insurance industries. Based in Bethesda, Maryland, Precision Medicine Group employs more than 3,000 people around the world, serving customers in the biotech, pharma, and healthcare industries across more than 40 countries. Founded a decade ago, Precision Medicine Group is providing comprehensive drug development and commercialization services with a special focus on treating rare diseases and cancers. Before his current role, Michael spent seven years as the Chief Technology Officer for ProAssurance, which is a national insurer for the healthcare, legal, and medical devices industries. And before that, he had several years as CTO of SunGuard Asset Management and was part of the executive leadership team at Fiserv. He also has some background at Ernst & Young in consulting roles across all of those industries. Michael, welcome. It's so nice to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Mary Friend. All right, let's start out with a little more background on Precision Medicine Group's business and your role there as the global CIO. Um, biotech and biopharma seemed like a departure for you, an entirely new industry after insurance and financial services. Uh, so tell us more about all that. Sure. It's, a, it's really been a, an industry that I've served as an adjacent industry throughout my career, whether it's in uh, consulting or even in the insurance industry to work with the uh, biotech and biopharma companies from the insurance perspective. You know, Precision Medicine Group, you know, we really specialize in services that support next generation of pra practices and approaches mm -hmm. to the drug development and the commercialization. Uh, we really provide like an integrated infrastructure that supports the pharmaceutical and life science companies as they develop the products and new products in the age of precision medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, as you said, we're, we're global. Uh, and our whole focus as a company is to help get the right therapy to the right patient at the right time. Uh, my role over the years, you know, and, and now it's really focusing on empowering precision teams to leverage systems and services. And the main thing is fostering collaboration, uh, integrity, quality, innovation, 
and purpose in everything we do and, and kind of more of a, a servant leadership type of way. And that's not just from me, that's from our CEO, our chairman and every single executive in the company. Because mm-hmm. I know when we talked earlier and I was asking you what drew you to biopharma and it compared to healthcare and financials or rather to insurance and financial services, there was a different feeling to the mission and the purpose here, um, perhaps a, a better place to practice your servant leadership. Talk a little bit about that, about what you found so engaging about the mission here. Yeah, yeah the mission here, it's you know, it's personally affected me in our focus on rare, dis- rare diseases and uh, cancer therapies. Uh, it's affected my family. It's more meaningful work uh, than I've been used to in my career. So mm-hmm. we're, we're helping the pharma companies get the therapies to the people uh, that actually need the therapy. And on the commercialization side, getting the therapies to them in the development, but then also on the commercialization side, you know, working with the practices and doctors to make sure that the therapies are covered by the proper insurance providers. That's all part of the the puzzle that we have to work through to get the get the therapies to the patients. Well, and I think people are more familiar now with the clinical trial process about the importance of drug development. I mean, ever the world has been paying so much more attention to the vaccine development uh, in these two years of the pandemic raging around. Um, but pharma patents themselves, I know they have been, uh, they're, they're incredibly expensive to get to that process. It can take a decade and a billion and a half dollars just to get through the whole approval process. Is it too early to see whether that is speeding up for the for your entire biopharma industry, or has that mainly been a focused effort around the vaccines? You know, I think it's really uh, a differentiator in in companies that provide the the clinical trial, clinical management services, all the way through to the commercialization. Is how can we shorten the curve? Uh, by using data and the great people we have in our company mm-hmm. to take the data from the trials, help improve the therapies to gain approval, uh, and then have a longer runway for the pharmaceutical companies to actually have approved medicines that are out there providing therapies to the patients. Mm-hmm. Tell me about when you joined last August, what were your marching orders? What was it that the CEO wanted you to accomplish in your first year? And how are you doing? You know, I, I think one of the key things is uh, to, to bolster and live by the culture of Precision Medicine Group. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a culture that's uh, based on things like uh, leading by example, uh, holding ourselves and our, our teams accountable, serving our clients, you know, whether that the client in my case could be an employee or a contractor, uh, but it could also be our end customer. So we've, we've got to be able to uh, help improve and make our employees more efficient so that that way they can help, that helps them in their job uh, and their passion of helping our, our end customers, which are the pharma companies. Right. Well, what are some of the, uh, talk about, give us an example of something that you have accomplished, you and your technology team accomplished in the past year that is delivering on that. You know, there's, there's many things that are behind the scenes, as many IT people know. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily uh, see the things that you avoid 
whether that's, uh, you know, avoiding security incidents uh, or whether it's, you know, making things more efficient. You know, one of the key things I think has been just getting access, getting our employees access to the information they need when they need it. And it's accurate. Uh, it would seem like that's something that's easy to do. Uh, but when you have a company our size that is very entrepreneurial, you know, mm-hmm. over time, uh, we, we've had to set standards on how data is set up, how you navigate towards it. So people that work across multiple studies can actually get access to the data that they need at the at the right time. Yeah. Well, they know later on in our conversation, we're going to talk a lot more about the data science and your whole enterprise data strategy, because looking across at your background, you have done a lot of work in that, in working in data warehouses and enterprise data and so forth. But before we do that, I want to kind of pivot over uh, to sort of a 30,000 foot view on the industry and the disruption that's gone on. It gets called the great uncertainty, uh, the great resignation, uh, just the the impact that the pandemic has had over the last two years on businesses and customers and clients. Uh, Tell me how your digital business models have adapted to all this over the past year? What uh, what sort of plans do you have going forward? Yeah, you know, I think in the end, you know, for us with our employees, you know, we, we're focusing just as much as ever on retention, you know, retaining employees, the employee, and that, that goes all the way through to, you know, from a CIO perspective, making sure we're uh, getting the right PCs, peripherals to our employees, uh, mm-hmm. upgrading them, you know, over time so they can be more productive all the way through to, you know, there's a, a definitely an attention to detail on, on our culture. Uh, yeah. and because of that, that culture is attractive. It's a, it's a culture of inclusion, not exclusion. Mm-hmm. So people's voices get heard. And in a lot of cases we find new ideas uh, from employees all over our company that we then bring to bear in the solutions that we provide either internally or to our customers. So I, I think that's a credit to it. And we've also seen the notion of, uh, uh, you know, there's a notion of boomerang employees, employees that, you know, may mm-hmm. leave, but then come back. Uh, and in the end, you know, we, we welcome that, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And uh, we see that with our employees that just love the culture and the people that they're working with at Precision. Yeah. And it, it's funny it, it, that makes such a difference in employees' lives. And you often don't realize it until you go somewhere else. And then you discover, oh, all those cultural norms that made working at, you know, say the parent company for CIO. I remember in the, you know, back in the days like early 2000s when we were losing a lot of people to digital media sites and that sort of thing. I used to tell people, everybody comes home to CIO or home to computer world. And it was true, people did come back because they ended up liking the company so much. We have our first question from our alert watchers and listeners today, and it's about um, advice for IT technology professionals who would like to enter the medical device or pharma domain. They may be, because you didn't come from medical device or pharma per se, and here you are a global CIO. So what kind of advice or guidance would you give to technology professionals that are more interested in doing some of that servant leadership themselves, maybe? 
you know, the main advice is that you have value in multiple industries as an IT professional. Uh, technology is the underpinning of every business that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the practices and things you learn in one industry are always in some way from an, an information technology perspective applicable. And in some cases, not only applicable, are game changing uh, when you come to a new industry, something that you've been used to that may have been uh, a standard in a prior industry. And you bring it to a new industry and it's, it's new and refreshing and it solves a problem that they've had. Uh, mm-hmm. but maybe didn't know how to solve. So you're, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just using your vast experiences in technology uh, mm-hmm. to bring them to help provide diverse solutions. Well, I wonder too, if I was a tech professional in uh, maybe in the banking or insurance industry, I might look at a biopharma company, uh, someone doing drug development and commercialization and think I needed a specialty in data science or really advanced technologies But that's not always the case, is it? No, it's not. Because if you think about in that example, you know, in the the banking world, there's been a lot of retail, home internet, you know, Mm -hmm. online banking, mobile banking experience uh, that is now proliferated into other industries. So when you're going through a clinical trial, you'll want access to information. You want to be able to provide information, but to do so in a a mobile or online fashion, as opposed to a paper form fashion that may have been prevalent in previous years. Mm -hmm. Did you have, were there technologies that you brought with you from some of those other industries you worked in, where you looked around when you got to Precision Medicine Group and you thought, oh, this will be an ideal solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. Uh, in the end, you know, uh, uh, my vendors, I, they're really not vendors, they're partners. When you build relationships mm-hmm. uh, and partnerships with these companies, uh, you know, when you're in, in the heat of the battle and they're there when you call them uh, to, to help you through the process, yeah. you know, and they're, they're fair with you when it comes to pricing, that relationship, you know, carries through to your career and you end up reusing those solutions because they end up being the best solutions for the money, uh, no matter what industry or company you're working in. Yeah. Well, let's um, and I want to talk about your IT group and how uh, how it's delivering on the value uh, that IT brings. But first, I want to talk about strategic technology and business priorities you have going forward. Has anything shifted way up or maybe dropped down on your list over the last year as you've been getting acclimated and making the changes you make in your first year in a new industry? I, I think it's just a continued focus on, on how much we care about people. Uh, it's more than just the bottom line when it comes to our folks. And, and that goes all the way from, you know, employees work as efficiently as possible while still staying in compliance with uh, the regulation and laws. And mm-hmm. that in itself, of course, helps employees when it comes down to the retention and onboarding of those employees. Mm-hmm. And then IT, we use our collaboration services uh, that we provide to them, but there's also a lot more collaboration between IT and the business to come up with solutions that 
better serve the employees and better better provide solutions to the customer base. So it's a, a, the biggest thing I would say is the, the focus on people and the human factor has definitely increased with everything that's going on. Sure. Um, and I know on your, your top priorities list, when we talked previous to this, of course, the employee experience and onboarding comes up as number one. Number two came up as uh, the importance of ease of use in the cybersecurity realm. Talk a little bit about that, about things like single sign-on and what sort of um, cyber changes you have made over the last year. It, you know, it, it goes back to the uh, you're balancing ease of use with security to mitigate the appropriate level of risk for your company. And I think with that, there's so much more focus on with the partners that we have, the technologies we utilize, how do we make things easier for the employee? Uh, how many times should they have to log in in an application during the day? And if there's multiple applications from the same partner, how do you have that login carry through uh, you know, throughout those applications? So you're adding value for the security you're getting. You're not just uh, beholden to whatever that technology is to do stuff their way. So it's more about doing stuff the precision medicine group way, which is about efficiency for the employee so they can focus on doing their work and providing solutions internally to mm -hmm. our employees and then externally to our customers. Okay. Well, let's talk next about the size and scope of your technology organization. You've got more than 3,000 employees, most of them in the U.S. and in North America, but you're serving more than 40 countries. How many, what, it, what is the size of your IT team and how do you have it structured? You know, the, it, it's the basic structure, you know, where uh, we're right about 100 folks, mm -hmm. uh, Structure-wise, it's the basic. You have a, a security team. We have an IT governance and compliance team, mm -hmm. a technology services help desk team, an infrastructure team, a project management office, and then a technology team. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's the balance throughout all that of having those teams work cohesively together mm -hmm. uh, in order to develop new and creative solutions you know, for our employees that they use and then develop those same solution, similar solutions for uh, our customer base. Okay. Are you largely handling everything on your own or are you, um, are, is a significant portion of any part of the tech stack outsourced? We, we use partners where uh, there's something that uh, if, if we don't feel it's a competitive, if we feel if it's a competitive advantage, we, we utilize our, our own employees, our internal services. But then there's some things where, again, back to balance, where if we can provide a better solution to our employees and company by using a, a, a third-party partner, you know, if it expands our capabilities to 24 by 7 without us having to hire uh, a large global team in a specific area, we'll use a partner for that. But if it's if it's focused on something that, you know, we in IT or the business feels is competitive, you know, gives us competitive advantage, you know, mm -hmm. then we really focus uh, working internally with the teams uh, and groups that we have. 
Okay. When you mentioned you had talked earlier about the importance of the diversity and equity and inclusion, and that I, I find that so true when I talk with CIOs as we talk about the uh, the taking care of employees and the empathy and the mission and purpose, the DEI, DE&I issues certainly come up. Um, what are some of the, how have those priorities changed from your whole C-suite and board level around those issues now? And how is the technology organization responding? You know, I think the key thing is, you know, our culture is highly collaborative. It's, it's always been a highly collaborative culture. I think what's changed, though, is uh, having technologies in place that foster that collaboration uh, when people are not just in the office, but also when you're a global team, you have people in an office that's halfway around the world uh, Mm -hmm. or people that are in home offices, you know, working together. So having that collaborative infrastructure in place that supports, you know, a high level of engagement uh, I, I think that's how it affects IT. But then the other piece is, you know, there's more uh, more of a culture of inclusion, you know, mm-hmm. to to really when you're you're coming up with a solution or you're you're looking at a problem, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity that needs to be solved, a challenge. You you want to have the right people in the meeting in the room that can give you some ideas that others may not necessarily think of. So new, fresh, creative ideas, that's how innovation happens, whether it's innovation and problem solving or innovation and solutions that you can bring to your internal employees or to the market. Well, I noticed too, in looking at um, the various roles you've had in your own career, uh, the two words that kept popping up were efficient innovation. So that's, it's sort of a, I, I don't want to call it a hobby horse because it's definitely something that's, that's very important to the services that you have delivered in previous C-level roles. But talk a little bit about what efficient innovation means to you and how you make sure that's happening at Precision Medicine Group. Yeah, in the end, what it comes down to, there's the typical, you know, you, you want a highly collaborative process. You want to focus on con- continuous improvement and being agile. You know, you need to you need to try things and fail before you can succeed, but you want to fail fast. Yeah. So a lot of what what we're doing, you know, focusing on company intranet mm-hmm. as an example. So employees getting access to the right information they need at the right time, especially when we're focused on onboarding uh, new employees because of the growth we're seeing you know, to make sure they can hit the ground running, you know, providing value uh, to their managers and to the company and to our customers. So that's something that I think is key on it. And then all along the way, you know, tracking our total cost of ownership as we implement things, as we're being innovative, are we getting the value out of them that we had planned on? And if not, uh, being able to, you know, re-navigate, tweak, in order to get to the place that the business needs us to go. Okay. Well, and related to that, in fact, with perfect timing, we have another question from our audience. What do you think about the implementation of an agile way of of working or SAFE? I think that that's a a S-A-F-E, that's a particular, uh, 
talk about that. I just I can never remember what safe stands for. It should be something obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, safe. You know, one of the great things about it, it early on in my career, uh, as we move from you know more iterative, rational, unified processes over to uh, more agile processes, mm-hmm. and we're moving away from waterfall. One of the areas that that struggled in some cases with that is uh, the the project management uh, within an agile organization. So that's yeah. one of the great things that that I see with Safe. It, it helps project management plug into an agile process. And know as an example, you know, to to track programs as epics, you know, for multiple releases over the life cycle of a product. So, you know, I I do think that I've also seen in the business side uh, that I've used more agile processes getting in place and they have nothing really to do with software development, which is where agile really started. It's all Mm -hmm. about just operational services we provide uh, to the customer base. So I've seen agile bleed into the more of the business operations of companies too, quite successfully. Well, and, and being able to call out instances of that is usually one of the big signs of success with Agile, isn't it? I've had so many CIOs tell me they don't want to talk about doing Agile. They want to talk about being Agile. Correct. And that if it's not deeply embedded in the company culture, then you really can't get all the benefits from it. Because it, it I, I've always been a big fan of the way, too, that it brings business people and IT Uh, experts into the same conversations, into the meetings, into the, have you switched over from not calling things projects, but having more of a program or a product manager focus? Yeah, definitely in transition, depending on uh, the the solutions and areas around the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do think that uh, many of our companies are seeing that, that product program focus and the things we provide as services, uh, we're also able to productize them and package them in a way to where it's repeatable value for yep. customers. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I, I do see that as a growing trend uh, in our industry and in many industries. Well, and uh, that actually brings us very naturally back to talking about data science and data warehousing and all of the enterprise data strategy stuff. Um, You had mentioned when we talked earlier that it's a real differentiator for Precision Medicine Group uh, becoming this mesh of data for operational efficiency company-wide. Give me an example, kind of a before and after uh, that you have brought about as the global CIO. You know, I think that it, it kind of goes all the way back to a focus on digital. So in digital right. transformation, uh, us being uh, part of a digital transformation journey that not only mm-hmm. includes what we're doing internally, but includes what we're doing for our customers uh, because they're also digitally transforming. So with that and that transformation that takes place, there's the notion of there's so much more data that maybe is coming from uh, paper and spreadsheets now into a system where mm-hmm. we have much more data uh, that we can harmonize and utilize to make good business decisions throughout mm-hmm. the process. Uh, so I think in the end, you know, uh, that's the that's the key piece is that collaboration 
It helps us focus on kind of the science of the data, uh, not just the medical science uh, and the research that uh, we do on the on the therapies uh, mm-hmm. and maybe the commercialization. It's also the the data itself and you know some of the challenges we work through and what's the custody of the data, the chain of the data, almost thinking of the data as a bill of materials and what went together to come up to this report or this visualization to make mm-hmm. sure that that data chain is actually valid and accurate and can be relied upon. So when our business makes decisions, they're making decisions based on accurate data. Yeah, I'm always interested when organizations talk about we're a data-driven enterprise. And I always want to dig into that a lot more and say, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, are, right. are you data-driven to the point where it's just people that specialize in the data are making decisions with it, or it is available in different tools to your customers, to your employees, that they're using it more themselves? Yeah, I always felt that data is one of those areas early in my career, I realized that with with people in the company uh, that have been, they use their best experiences to make decisions. And in some cases they went on, you know, the proverbial, I went with my gut. Well, now what they're seeing is the data is more more than likely giving them affirmation of Mm -hmm. what they were thinking, but it allows them to tweak things or, you know, uh, uh, correct things a little bit, tweak things a little bit to where, they can make a better decision or have a variant that they may have not known of that is directionally in alignment with what they were originally thinking. Yes. Well, and speaking of alignment, we have another wonderful question from our audience. How do you go about building consensus to align the business strategy and the IT roadmap? What oh, that's of- that's a great question. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about collaboration with the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's listening to the business leaders that you work with, uh, uh, or anybody in the business, no matter what level in the organization, and finding uh, areas where maybe uh, you think the business works one way, and then you see something taking place within the business that maybe supports that or is a, mm-hmm. a little bit different, and then having that roll up to make sure that our our technologists or IT folks have line of sight into the technology strategy. And then we're showing, physically showing how that technology strategy supports and enables the business strategy. Mm-hmm. So what I've seen, there's more much more focus on is the business and IT working together to understand the business strategy, document the business strategy, and then also understand and document the technology strategy. It's it's not a business creates the business strategy and IT creates the technology strategy. It's business and IT creating, understanding and updating both. And by doing that, you end up getting full alignment uh, with those two strategies. How, how are you set up in terms of governance uh, to make sure that happens? Because I noticed in your career, uh, path, you've had not only a lot of enterprise data strategy experience, but also a lot with governance because you've worked in a lot of regulated industries. So what is the governance process to make all that happen at Precision Medicine? You know, there's a there's a very strong focus on, you know, and it, it just leverages our collaborative culture to, to making sure that 
you know, when we're creating strategies or creating uh, uh, projects, new initiatives, that there's transparency uh, mm -hmm. with many other business leaders within the company. So they know what's going on in the company. They understand why we're doing it, which then helps them when we're implementing, they support something that they know why we're doing it. Uh, so I think that's the key thing is collaboration, transparency. It's not a, we have our, our strategy, we work on it and we don't share what we're doing. It's, mm -hmm. we have our strategy, we share that, we make sure others understand. And then the initiatives we're rolling out, we're sharing with our leadership Mm -hmm. And then other groups that are implementing initiatives, they're sharing with our leadership. So it's a, it's kind of a cohesive stream of work that's happening that everyone is trying to gain transparency. If we have prioritization challenges, we talk through them, we work through them. And in the end, it helps us get in alignment better and meet our goals for the short term and long term. How does that get communicated kind of on a day by day, week by week. Is that one of the functions of you'd mentioned that you've really revised and improved the intranet at the company? I'm, I'm always interested in how those messages are actually delivered and how you know they're landing. You know, we, we have a great communications team in the company that I found uh, invaluable to what I do uh, because they give perspectives that we in IT may not necessarily think of with, you know, not only are we going to communicate via email, but, you know, what are we going to, where are we going to put content? Is it going to be in an email? Is it going to be uh, on the intranet? Uh, you know, what are we going to do within, you know, our instant messaging and unified communications platform and do it in a way to where over time, it's according to the preference of our employee, because with our employees, some might have more of a preference to get things over email. Uh, some may just want it to be on the internet. Some may just want it to be on uh, our instant messaging or unified communications platform. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like that human perspective to work with our employees in a way that maximizes, you know, how they can comprehend what we're trying to bring for bring to them so that mm -hmm. they can use that to their advantage in the work they do. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think CIOs have really learned over time in many industries is that communicate. I think probably 10 years ago, they might've thought you communicate your strategy. Everybody takes notes on it. And now we're all on the same page. Whereas you find out, of course, that communication is this almost endless process of like communicating and doing it again and talking about it again and some more. Have you found that in your own career that you just do a lot more chatting up than you thought might be necessary in a CIO role? You know, I think it's just part of the role. You, we had spoken about agile. There's this whole notion of continuous improvement in everything we do, yeah. especially when you're in a group that is providing a shared service to our internal employees so that then they can go out and uh, basically make the money for the company. Mm -hmm. So in that, we have to make sure that, you know, we're providing the proper service there. And then as things come up, you know, not just challenges, new ideas, how do we ingest them into the process to where then we can foster change and provide new solutions 
mm-hmm. uh, to what we're providing to the customer base or, or you know, whether that's our internal customers or our external customers. So that whole continuous improvement paradigm, it permeates throughout, you know, our company and throughout any successful company out there. Okay. Is there, and we have a, we have another question from our alert audience here and it's, they're getting, they're getting even more detailed the longer we talk. Data-driven sounds great, but what about technology rapidly changing and being so dynamic? How should a company find the right balance so that data is being used well and protected for the future and not being wrongly used? You know, that's a great question. And it's, you know, so I'll try to talk through the multiple parts of that question that from an IT perspective, we really have to land on, you know, part of that is governance. So making sure we've got the governance in place. So as as data or technology solutions get acquired, you're Mm -hmm. thinking through how is that going to be integrated, whether you think it needs to be integrated or not. How is it going to be integrated into our company? And then now that it's integrated, you know, then how are we going to uh, then visualize that information, whether it's in a a corporate data warehouse Mm -hmm. or some kind of data or digital mesh that you have in your company? How do you visualize that? And then how do you govern the changes to it? Because if it's an internal application, you know, you control the governance of that. But if it's an external application or a third party service, you know, there's still uh, vendor partners that make changes and they don't necessarily get communicated to IT. So then you have to you have to react quickly. But in the end, you, you try to have those partnerships in place to where you know what's coming. You're able to test it, not just the functionality, you're able to test what changes get made to the data and then what the ripple effects are to where maybe we can use data differently to provide more value uh, to the uh, users that are uh, out there using the applications and services that we provide. Well, and that protection aspect of it is so important because the last part of that question is how do you make sure it's not going to be wrongly used in the future? And right. especially in biopharma, I mean, you're dealing with so much sensitive information because it's linked into pharmaceuticals and healthcare and insurers. Uh, and, and doctor's offices. You don't just deal with pharma companies, right? Some of your customers are the practitioners themselves. Right. And that's where it's very important, you know, to control the, I call it the data chain of custody. It's who has permission along the way mm-hmm. uh, and rights to update data or read data. And even if they read data and analyze data, what can they do with it from there? And just knowing that whole life cycle. And then, you know, this is the monotonous part. uh, Some people think in IT, but it's invaluable. The reviews we have to do as to who has access and why and business people approving that for their folks, that helps ensure that accuracy stays in place and doesn't get challenged along the way by these compensating controls and processes you have to make sure the data is accurate and correct. Yeah, it's not just about keeping it clean and keeping it safe. It's actually about making it accessible. Correct. It's, it's such a juggling act, isn't it? It is for sure. 
Uh, let me see. Let's pivot over and talk about some of the emerging technology trends that are of greater interest to you now. I know you have a, a long history with with um, within enterprise data and even with security. Are there uh, what are the things you're watching especially closely? Um, AI, machine learning, blockchain. You know what is uh, what is catching your eye these days? You know, I think it's just with the, the increased digitization, what that's meaning is the proliferation and orders of magnitude growth of the data. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's really coming around to uh, watching uh, regulations that are taking place. Mm -hmm. You know, when you want to do automation, say you want to do predictive analytics, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we always have the human perspective. Uh, so automation, in, in my point of view, is great to a point. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I say to a point, it means that there, there's stuff that the experiences that human beings have in their brain can catch things that we haven't been able to train the computers yet to catch along the way. So you always have to have that that human perspective, that human mm -hmm. review uh, before you bring something to the end customer or the employee. And I think the over time, the so that's going to kind of balance out that uh, the trends taking place in the industry with data and then the controls around what some of the regulatory bodies believe we, we, we should or should not do with true automation and you know, artificial intelligence, intelligence, how far should it go without a human being being involved, being involved in the decision making that is then taking place? Well, and, and because you don't just serve customers in the U.S. and Canada, you're actually in more than 40 countries now around the world. How do you keep on top of the changing legal and some of the regulatory issues around data and what you make available. How, how are you set up yeah. to do that? You know, and this is again, you know, this is where IT can't work in a vacuum, legal can't work in a vacuum, uh, the business can't work in a vacuum. And that's what's great about being with a company that has such a highly collaborative nature. You know, we get uh, our privacy group in the room, our lawyers in the room, our technologists in the room, our business folks. And we all have different perspectives with uh, the rules and regulations that are taking place around the world. And as they change, what do we have to do about it? Operationally, what do we have to do? Technically, what do we have to do via uh, you know, standard operating procedure or policy? What do we have to do in compliance? So uh, to, to answer the question, it's really about having that collaborative structure where this culture of inclusion, all these groups are working together, discussing their perspective and points of view to arrive at a solution as to how we implement changes based on what's taking place in the regulations throughout the world. Yeah. Well, that makes me think, too, about how often the um, whole process of change management has always been a foundational skill that good CIOs really need and CTOs as well. What have you learned over time about managing change, dramatic change, little changes, important changes, security changes? What are some of your, the wisdom that you might have to impart on that? How, how do you get better and better at 
more and more dynamic change and, and volatility. You know, I think, Mary Fran, uh, uh, one of the key learnings I've had is to, to use a risk-based approach. Uh, you know, okay. when we're doing significant changes or when a, one of our partners are doing significant changes to an application or service, mm-hmm. it's a higher risk uh, to our ability to provide whatever that function it delivers for our employees or our customers. It's a higher risk that there may be challenges with the function. So because of that, the level of approvals, testing, documentation that you have to do for those significant changes is naturally larger and takes longer than it is for maybe, you know, more standard changes, parameter changes or configuration changes. It doesn't necessarily mean that those standard changes don't carry any risk. Uh, It just means that you know, maybe there's not as many levels of approvals that you require for a less risky chain, but there's no change that you can put in without no approvals because having that that human perspective, the second set of eyes on mm-hmm. what you're doing to see, does this expose, even though it might be a minor configuration change, it could, it could expose a security risk uh, depending on what the change is. So having that second set of eyes look at it before it actually goes into production is invaluable. Mm-hmm. I know, because we don't actually have a computer yet or a computer system that can do the human gut check. Correct. And, yeah, they just, they they probably, computers, I imagine, if they had feelings, they would feel relieved that they don't have to worry about that. You know, their, their instincts are programmed in, right? Another question on this, do you see data lakes in a healthcare ecosystem as a way to enable future applications to deliver value. And um, to start out by telling us what you view as, because there's data lakes, there's data warehouses, there's data marts. I had one CIO who talked to me recently about creating a data lake house where (laughs) it was, and part of that had, it was the idea of customers could drop by the lake house and get a specialized set of safe data that had been curated for them to access. So um, what does your what does your data landscape look like in terms of lakes versus the others? Uh, this is, you know, the notion of continuous improvement. This is where the industry has changed and gotten better so much over the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day before data lakes existed, uh, we, we did a lot of work to get data into an operational data store. That's right. where... All of the data, you know, we, we did have to extract, transform, and load it into that operational data store. And, and then we aggregated information up for trending into data warehouses, then created specific data marts that may have been more department or function focused. The great thing about data lakes is you can put unstructured data into data lakes very easily and then utilize the the tools and methods we have to then figure out the structure that exists with unstructured data and then promote information up through the data warehouse and into data mart. So it's it's part of this chain of, uh, I guess, a solution that is more focused on uh, the unstructured data that still has tons of value in it because there's many Many times in systems where uh, it's the bane of some uh, data modelers where you have a freeform text field that's in a system, there's all types of unstructured data there that has to be parsed through 
And there's value in that. So that's where I think adding the data lake has really helped us move forward into data science overall, mm -hmm. because we have a much more efficient way of dealing with unstructured data. Whereas in the past, we would have to have people look through that unstructured data and then transform it to get the data into an operational data store. Now we have people training computers and algorithms that are being trained based on the data that are forming the data and more structures and to seeing how that gets into uh, the data warehouse so we can make better business decisions over time. Well, and I think so many CEOs, and I remember this from gosh, probably 20 years ago in the, just in technology journalism in general, you were always hearing from an IT leader, you know, kind of sighing about the fact that my CEO expects us to deliver a lot more from the data. CEOs tended to see data as this great big mountain full of gold, but the gold was hidden, yes. <laughs> hidden from the business side and that sort of thing. You must have seen a lot of evolution in just the attitude and understanding of the CEOs and the other business, the C-levels in the business side that you deal with. How do, how do you go about making sure that you keep them kind of apprised and up to date without overwhelming <clears throat> with technology information? <laughs> It, it's, a fine, you know, the, it's a fine line, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I've learned over my career, you know, IT, we have more acronyms than anybody in any other department, <laughs> it seems like. So, you know, uh, I have to spell out what the acronym stands for. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, and in doing so and explaining, it, this is where I think the most valuable role uh, or trait in an IT professional is is being able to be that liaison between the business and the technologists. Mm -hmm. So it's fine to be hyper-focused in technology and we don't really, you know, maybe that role, that person doesn't really want to uh, work with the end users, but they're great at coding and architecture. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to have people in between that can speak to them in their language, but then also speak to our user base and mm -hmm. understand the requirements and then be able to communicate that to the people that develop solutions. And the same takes place in, in infrastructure and security. So, you know, uh, for, for IT workers out there, growing in that trait to speak in the business language and be fluent in the business language and be fluent in the technology language so you can be that liaison uh, to provide that collaborative structure is really key. Well, and it's a sure pathway to the upper levels of uh, IT leadership, isn't it? Correct. Let me see. I want to uh, wrap up today with uh, having you talk about what you have learned, uh, how the pandemic has changed you as a leader, as because you have been a consultant, you've been a CTO at several different organizations, uh, but the last two years, nobody has a comparison base for it. It's so, uh, it's so unprecedented. We've we've started to overuse the word unprecedented. Um, so over this last two-year period, what have you learned? What has changed about the way you are leading as a CIO today? I think it's it's focused me on. Uh, the need to see employees as human beings and people. Not that we weren't doing that before, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think the, the relationships are so much richer because 
when you know we're in the height of the pandemic, we weren't able to be close by. Mm -hmm. uh, we would. I remember years ago, we didn't have video communications. We had tel telephone, and you're on these conference calls. You can't see, you know, pictures of families. You can't see kids running around in the background or pets. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now that you could see them, when you have your team meetings and your one on ones, that that sparks a conversation as to you know what personally uh is taking place with what the employees want to share and what the manager wants to share and it mm -hmm. just helps you bond and grow together more as a team i yeah. found myself during the pandemic reminding you know myself and our folks take a lunch break take breaks you need to disconnect because mm -hmm. it freshens your mind and by doing so you will come up with better solutions for our company as opposed to being heads down 24 seven in the details. So pulling back, taking a real vacation helps refresh your mind to where you can then come back and deliver ultimate value to the company. Well, and I think of all the decades of, you know, um, HR coaches and people that have tried to get that message across, you know, the, the notion that um, you don't have to be apologetic about having soft skills or about thinking just as highly of the, your EQ, your emotional quotient, as you do of your IQ. Because we've got tons of very high Q all across technology leadership. And nobody, it seems these days, is at all chagrined about the fact that, you know, there's also a big human component that we now talk about more openly. So Right. I, I have noticed that in IT, uh, more so than I would have known probably in the past, the artistic background of many people that are in IT. So that's where their creativity comes from. It's their their passion for art along with science. So they're, they're a computer scientist, but they're also an artist. So it's that, that notion of both that really emanates from a lot of IT folks. Yeah. yeah, there's there's more of the left brain people are giving the right brain more of a workout and kind of vice versa, right? Exactly. That's great. Well, it has been so great having you here today. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. And especially thanks to our, our avid and alert listening and watching audience, we've had a series of excellent questions in the Leadership Live today. And we both appreciated those, didn't we, Michael? <laughs> no, it was great. And it's, you know, it's all very relevant to the times and uh, to what we're sharing and talking over. So we're, we're, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do this with you, Mary Fran, and really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Precision Medicine Group. Good, good. Well, it's been my pleasure too. Now, if you joined us late today, do not despair. You can watch the full episode here. It'll be up for most of the day right here on LinkedIn, but also by the end of the day, you'll find us on CIO.com or on YouTube's Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I do hope you enjoyed the conversation, very wide ranging conversation today with CIO Michael Stockard of Precision Medicine Group, and that you'll join me again next time when I'll be back at noon Eastern about a month from now on Monday, June 20th, and you'll hear from CIO Ken Grady of IDEX Laboratories. Thanks so much for joining us today, and please do take a moment to subscribe to that YouTube channel called Tech Talk. You can actually find all of our previous, I think it's 85 or 86 now, episodes of CIO Leadership Live on there. Stay well, and we'll see you back here again next time. Thanks.